Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. So Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, man. No, I hate that. (laughs) Uh, I'm in Toronto. Uh, I'm a physio. I was a Cairo once, but I just let my license uh, expire because I don't need it for anything. Uh, I see patients a couple times a week, but primarily I, well, I used to travel around and teach uh, my course about, you know, biomechanics and, and pain science. That's just starting up. I'm in Portland, like my first trip in almost a year. Uh, next month. Uh, so that's a bit of a mess. So, you know, my background is uh, I have a master's in biomechanics, primarily like exercise uh, biomechanics, manual therapy. Then I went to Cairo school. I worked there. I taught there. I was on faculty there as a student. That was neat. Then I was in private practice full time. Then I went back to school for physio. Then again, I was in private practice full time for like uh, six years. And then I slowly just started teaching more and started to uh, seeing less patients because I like to teach and I wanted to have more balance. So, so travel, teach, and then treat a bit at home. And now I'm in like a little clinic in Toronto. That's it. If you, had, if you had to go back, would you do Cairo school again or not? No, you know what I think? I, 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 I really love the training. It was, well, I mean, it was overkill. It's four years. They have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. There's literally five full classes on microbiology and immunology and histology. You're looking at slides like liver slides in it through a microscope and taking blood. I'm like, I'm never going to do this. So it's super inefficient. So I think I'd probably get a PhD instead because you can do that in three years, you know, and less money. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but I, I have nothing against the, the chiros that I worked with that they I know a lot of good chiros. We had but a half the profession is full of shit, but. Oh yeah, not the, not more than half. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, we we we're currently finishing chiro school, and we only had one micro and immunology class, but we never had a lab. Nope, thank God. Oh, oh good. No, it's it's What's Canada. It's get the CMCC, so they're uh, they just I think they just always want to be like real doctors, you know. So they just did all this. They would so much extra training and so much anatomy and neuroanatomy. It's just unbelievable. Like you just don't need it. And then you're missing stuff. So way too much. Yeah. So yeah, it's just overkill of things you don't need. And then not enough. Like I never saw a single ACL. Uh, I didn't do any ACL rehab. They just, they wouldn't have access to those people. Right. So they, they, they had to make up for it with just stuff out of books. <laughs> well, in our case, we didn't have like a single real rehab class we only had like one active care class and it was like this cookie cutter approach where if someone comes with an ankle sprain do three sets of this and then that and then that and that's it so yeah it's kind of the same here that's too bad it's too bad whereas physio was only two years but you know every few months you'd spend five to six weeks in a clinic Mm -hmm. right and there was like the easiest anatomy class ever but but they were like, well, what's the point of focusing on this? You just got to see patients or figure it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I was, uh, I was going through your Twitter feed because I was very uh, excited to speak with you, especially about the, the last thing you posted, maybe not the last thing. I think it was like three days ago. It was about how strength 
isn't the best predictor or potentially not the best predictor for uh, calf injuries in runners? So there's, it's just two papers. So it, it's interesting. This is an example of how I always challenge how I practice. Like my, if someone comes with knee pain, I'm probably going to give exercise. I'm probably going to keep them running and use running as a stimulus for rehab. I mean, I'm, I'm a promoter of resistance exercise, but what's, what we so often see is like, you don't, so here's the thing. You don't need to be weak to benefit from doing a resistance exercise. If you have pain, you don't have to go find some weakness and correct it. There's no evidence for that. Uh, but I think exercises can be helpful. It's just, they're probably working not because they're making someone stronger. It's something else that, that they're doing. And so there's a couple recent papers. One was this Dylan paper, which a lot of people have an issue with where uh, three groups, okay? So one group never, ever, their runners, distance runners, never injured. It's pretty amazing. And they measured all these, their kinematics, not their kinematics, their, all of the strength and throughout the body, uh, navicular drop, you know, all the, all those things. And then two other groups, one was like uh, acquired immunity to running where they were injured at least two years ago, but they, they had been running for two years without in, any injuries, injury, meaning, um, you know, pain for more than seven days and missing three runs. I think that I, that's what it was. And then they had a third group that was like the recently injured. So they were injured. Uh, they recovered within three months, between three months and a year. Right. So, so, and what they found was those who were recently injured or had acquired immunity, like, so they were injured two years ago, their calf strength was greater than the never injured. So the, the idea here is like strength isn't inherently protective. Mm -hmm. How people will not the study is like 86% of the people who were uh, recently injured, they were in rehab at some point. And so therefore they rehab themselves to become stronger and that's why they're stronger. But you know what, like from this, it's funny, people will say that and yet they'll also in their next tweet say, we suck at rehabbing people. So which is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so anyways, the point, the point, it was a couple of papers like that. It's, it seems like for running, it's not, it's not your ability to produce force, like in the gym, that's protective, mm -hmm. but there probably is a running strength. That's something else besides the amount of plantar flexion force or the weight you can squat. There's, mm -hmm. there's strength in there. There's, there's, there's something else going on. So that's what that was about. Yeah. So would this inform how you work? Cause I know you work with, uh, you have a, a running specific, uh, physio program i think i saw would this inform well, you to um so i teach a course on running injuries and have worked with a company that does that as well years ago so here's what i think strength training is one option when you have a running related injury i don't think it's working because people are getting stronger right it's doing something else and, and and i just have theories on what else it's doing right um but at the same time, I, where, you, where I think it's valuable to be critical is not everyone wants to strength train. Not everyone wants to do squats and single leg squats and hip stuff and foot stuff. And if we're, if we're open to that, it gives us other options to treat people, right? You can offer to your patient, we can do these strength exercises. They can help with your knee pain. But we could also do these other things. What would you, what, what would you be interested in? That, that's what I want to find out. But if you just think, oh, strength training, you have to do it. 
a lot of people are like, fuck, I don't want to. <laughs> Why can't I run? And, you know, I think there's, there's reasonable evidence that you can probably use running as rehab for most people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are what are some of your theories as in why you think exercise helps or why you know exercise helps? Because we know it does many different things, but so the, the big one is like not the big one, it's just that when you start to exercise and and uh, so so the there's the simple idea that it's somehow load preparation. If, if a knee is in pain, it's not tolerating stress. So you back off of running and they can just handle squats and then you slowly build that knee up. That's the classic movement preparation. It's probably what I've said, you know, for, for 20, 20 years. And I, I still buy into it. Another one could be like, say, why, why does hip strengthening help? Right. And so, and we know it does, but inconsistently it changes someone's kinematics. So it doesn't always make their, if you look at how they're running, it doesn't look any different. Um, but it, strength training might change the loads felt on the knee. And that might just be enough of like, oh, the load is different. It doesn't hurt as much. Okay, that, that's why strength training has helped. Uh, it helps. So the, 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 the torque at the knee will, will be different. Uh, a third idea, kind of related, really complicated, not something I really understand, is something called dynamic coupling, which means any body, any muscle in the body can accelerate another joint. So when you get up from a chair, your glutes can help extend your knee or, or running is really weird. Your right glute helps extend the left hip. <laughs> Don't, it doesn't make any sense. That's dynamic coupling. It's weird. So strength training the hip or even the hip adductors might help extend the knee and there could be less stress on the knee, right? It might, might change the stress. Uh, the other idea is uh, it's an analgesic effect of strength training. Uh, related to that would be what's called an, a habituation response, where you do something that kind of hurts, but you get used to it, like the nervous system. You still have nociception, but you downregulate that. You just don't feel it as much or you have less pain. Uh, another idea would be you're, you're strengthening or somehow changing the tissues themselves that are sensitive. Like you're not getting them. It's not the muscles that need to get stronger. It's you're, you're changing something about the joint or, or, or the tissue. Uh, the other one could be um, just general activity has a general anti-inflammatory effect, right? So you influence nociception at the site of the knee or something like that, but you could have done it by doing deadlifts or uh, pull-ups, you know what I mean? Or bicep curls in the squat rack because it's just this generic thing. And then maybe the last one, which probably is huge, it's just really hard to measure would be sort of a self-efficacy, confidence, fear, I'm in control, you know, you, you expectations, all that stuff. So that's a lot, uh, just off the top. You should have asked me to prepare, I could have done better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we always say that exercise is one of the best psychological um, quote-unquote treatments that you can give someone. Um, yeah. Now that we're now that we're talking about exercise and we know that general exercise uh, doesn't have to be specific for pain, but I know that you start your course with when do we have to be specific? So yeah. can you give us uh, like an example <laughs> of when you like to be specific if need be? Yeah. So it, that's, a, that's a really huge question. But, but a, the big thing would be like the big sinister pathologies right? Like someone, instead of having low back pain, they have like an abdominal aortic aneurysm, 
that's a specific dysfunction dysfunction requiring a specific fix you can't go graded exposure to the pulsating mass in your stomach right or like cauda equina or um a stress fracture in the femoral neck specific dysfunction or pathology relatively specific fix for there it's like get get off your off your leg and then after that it's really neat like msk wise it becomes less less uh, specific when you look at it like someone has patellofemoral pain syndrome you, you, there's so many different things you can do right there's a paper came out they compared hip abductor strengthening versus hip adductor no difference between the groups <laughs> right yeah so how specific and i bet you could do the same thing you could focus on the hamstrings and people would get better when you do that so it's it's really neat uh so i'm i'm not really so there's our i don't think you need to be that specific sometimes unless <laughs> this, is, this is just a guess unless if you can say that some impairment unless it's corrected it's it's much less likely that that they'll get better so fear of flexion might be a good one where someone's just always avoiding flexing their spine they haven't done it for years it just they if unless they address that fear they might never never get better right mm -hmm. they have to fully confront that so that's like might be a specific thing but um but other ones like say catastrophizing i'm a catastrophizer it's my trait uh it's not something that always needs to be corrected in people they can recover and they still catastrophize do you know what i mean like it yeah. could be something you address but you probably don't have to that's what's so cool like not everyone, not everything needs to be fixed and people can recover. Do you think there is some merit in being quote unquote specific in cases such as, let's say, Achilles tendinopathy? And I know there's research showing that no, but do you think there's some merit there? So, so sorry, that's, that's sort of the, I, I kind of touched on that with the stress fracture. If you think like the pain problem is more related to some specific tissue pathology, I think you need to be more specific. So like if you tear your hamstring and it's torn, you probably need relatively specific load on that hamstring, like where you need to catalyze some healing. I think we need to be more specific. And then when someone has certain demands, like sporting demands, you need to be relatively specific to build them up to, to match those demands. So an Achilles tendinopathy is kind of a neat one. Like would a, would every runner need to specifically heavy load the tendon to make the, the tendon get thicker and stiffer we i would i often would say yes but but maybe not right because that might not be the pathology that that might not be what's driving their sensitivity but i bet there's a subset of people where unless you make like so strength training if it's heavy will make a tendon stiffer that 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 we know there might be a subset of people where unless they get that stiffness increase and build up the quality of the tendon they won't recover you just don't know who they are so that's why i believe in like belt and suspender rehab meaning like if you don't want your pants to fall down you wear belts and suspenders so i would be like general and i would be specific in those cases because you just can't yeah and some people hate that because it's such a shotgun approach but i'm like you have to recognize your uncertainty so why not cover all your bases Yeah, or, or at least be specific to the task that they want to do. That's where you can be a little bit more specific. So that's a good one, too. I, I, sometimes I'm specific because I know patients want it. 
And that's the, they want everything written down. So I'm like, all right, we're doing exactly this. And they want to be coached. You know, it's like, it's like you're, if you, if you're strength training or any type of athlete, you probably know most of the coaching theory, like programming and sets and reps and how much you train, but you get a coach to do it because you want, you just want them to do that thinking for you. So there's a subset of people as a therapist, you want to do the same thing. You're like, this is what, this is what we're going to do. And they, they're happy with that. So you're meeting expectations. So, but if you just say, oh, you can do whatever you want and yeah. you, you might be right, but it might not work for them. It's uh, I, I think I always battle with that thought process is because um, it seems like the more you read, the more opportunities or options you can take to rehabilitate a specific thing. Right. But yeah. then like, when you try to communicate this with the patient, you almost seem uncertain and you're like, well, you can kind of do almost anything. And that almost makes you look like less of a, of a professional. Have you ever encountered something I, like that? Absolutely. You know, so the way I work on that, I'm like, I'm, I talk about these are the principles that we need to meet with your rehab and, and there's lots of roads to Rome. And then the example I give for that, cause they might, Oh, really? And like, it's like the stock market. You can go to different financial advisors who will have their favorite financial instruments. Some dude might be it's Dogecoin or whatever, <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> Someone else be like mutual funds. Someone says it's an index fund. Someone else wants bonds or in a mix of stocks and, but they're, what they're all doing is just riding the market, right? So the principle there is just getting in the market. And we know that things just go up over time, right? But they, they all did it differently and rehab's the same. So if you can find like anecdotes like that, like that sometimes helps with your patients and, and say, these are the, this is what we're trying to do. I want stress on your knee. We want stress somewhere else. We want to like think, okay, how can you be healthier in your life, right? And we want to start doing the things that you're not doing. So, so those are the principles and there's lots of ways that we can get there. Here's here, here are my thoughts of how we can do that. Would you want to do it differently? Or if you, if you come up with a new idea, shoot me an email and we'll work on that together. We always go back to principles. Like here's the principle, let's load the knee. These are our options on how to do it. Right? It's and like the, isn't that kind of like the street three-step approach of CFT, um, cognitive functional therapy, like lifestyle, uh, greater exposure, whatever, to the activities they're not currently doing in their education. Do you follow that kind of style? Uh, by accident, right? Gotcha. I took Pete Court's courses years ago, Sullivan, and uh, they didn't have that. And then, it, but now I put it in my course because I like to, I like to be biased and support the people who are like me. I'm like, here I said this, but this person's saying it as well. Therefore, we're right. <laughs> <laughs> Now yeah, it's all... funny. I first took Pete's course and I thought, oh, it's so complicated. I can't tell you uh, what all the multidimensional contributors to pain are in this person. So I came up with the idea, just asked them, how, how can you be healthier? And then now I love it that if you look at CFT, they have that, like, how, like, how can you be healthier? That's yeah. so awesome. <laughs> like, like what we were talking about and what you've been a, like a, a pl implying is like, you have this ability to kind of, you know, look at things that kind of confront your bias and your ability to reflect upon your patient interaction and kind of refine it over time. Have you always been like that? Cause like, you know, there has to be a sort of some sort of growth period that we all go through. So I was really lucky. I have always been pretty critical, but I probably thought in the past there's more specific things that needed to, to be done. And I probably just said no to more things. 
So after my master's, which was at Waterloo, which is very much neutral spine, I was very much, you know, don't ever flex your spine. And that's slowly changed. But so it's, it's more that I'm more open, like my principles are still the same, but I think I've realized that more, there are more avenues or more treatments that can achieve the principles. If that, if that makes sense. Like a, when you're a Cairo in Canada in like the early 2000s or mid 2000s, like in order to not, not be a quack, you would crack backs and you, and you do active release technique. That was like your calling card to say that you weren't, you know, a, a quack and, and exercise. And I took one, I hated ART at the start because they kept being so specific, like they're releasing adhesions and scar tissue. And I'm like, oh, that's bullshit, but I'm just going to take it. So I can put it on my website that I've taken it. And then, uh, you know, but I never really bought into the idea that we're breaking up shit, you know, but I still thought there's utility here and having someone move, put my hands on them and then they feel better. And plus all the other things that you do. So I have always done that. So now, now that we're talking about ART and Cairo and whatever, do you have, do you have some patient interactions where you use mental therapy or do you not use it at all? So I used to use it a lot because all the clinics I worked in, that's what people demanded. But I, my joke always was like, I'm, I wouldn't say this to my patients, but I'm rubbing them with my mouth, meaning like as I'm <laughs> like doing the stupid ART stuff, I'm talking and educating and listening to them. And that's the only way that we could have conversations was they would also have, have to have their manual therapy expectations met. But what's really cool is slowly over time, that stopped happening, not on purpose. I didn't say I'm going to do less manual therapy. It just sort of happened. And maybe being a physio in a Cairo um, made it easier because people would have less expectations about what I was doing. But when I was just a Cairo and then a physio, I think, and the whole clinic was manual therapy. I, I had to meet those expectations to get in other messaging. Yeah. So what I what I've seen in the past, or at least with like my anecdotal experience, when people are working with maybe higher athletes, I don't know if you've worked with higher athletes, but they they expect to kind of almost get rubbed down or that what's yeah. the new gimmick, right? And you know, it's kind of hard for somebody maybe to come for you, come to you as an athlete with an injury, and you just kind of say, Oh, we're gonna be doing more exercise. It's like, well, I've been doing that. I'm an athlete, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had that interaction and that can communication? Uh, yeah. So with, with those ones, you want to find out often their exercises might be the wrong ones for them, or there's other things they, they could be doing. You just have to point out, well, you're getting injured. These might, that might not be the right path. So mm -hmm. here's the other exercise approach, or, you know what, it might be pulling them back and they got the dosage wrong for them at that point in time. Um, but often I have worked with pretty elite runners, you know, like Olympic or just trying to get the Olympic level in that. And again, it was the same idea. I, we would do manual therapy. It was just, to, I think there is a value in manual therapy for that, th the three days of less pain. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I know it's not going to make a difference in two months from now, but I mean, like I took a Tylenol yesterday because I wanted to go skateboarding and I was sore from training. I was just achy and it helped. And I just didn't want to be achy. And I knew that I'd feel better two days from then but I wanted less pain while I was training. So there was value. So there's, I think there's value in just that short-term pain relief for some people. So I still do some of that with, with athletes. And then you add in the other things that you, that might help in the long-term. 
which to me would be the strength and conditioning, managing loads, all that stuff. If you had to choose one between clinical practice and just education, which one would you choose and why? Well, I like it. I, I've always wanted to be a clinical educator. Like that's why I did a master's in the first place. Like I was teaching when I was in my first year at CMCC at chiropractic college, I was teaching in the graduate program. Like I, I was teaching right away. Like it was kind of neat teaching the residents and they're like, why is this first year shithead in here? He's in, <laughs> he's in my classes. And then they had to listen to me. Uh, they're actually fantastic. There's no, I never issues there. So I love teaching. However, the reason I stay in practice uh, because you need to, it's weird. Uh, my successes are probably less now because I think I, I'm a, uh, I see more difficult cases because my patients are kind of from all over because they heard me on a podcast or they heard me on Twitter or something. So you have to, I think you have to keep treating because you have to um, keep being humbled and remember like, can't just lecture people. You got to be reminded of how difficult it is sometimes, well, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Uh, I'm curious, what classes were you teaching at the moment? Me right now? Yeah. No, oh, okay. uh, well, the ones you were teaching in college. Yeah. Oh, that, so that was, that was two. That was 1999. Oh wow. So I was like 20. How old was I? I don't know. 24, 25. My first year there. I taught the oh. uh, research, instrumentation, and spine biomechanics. It was only it was only for the residency, so it was just four people. So it was like lab and like a seminar based. It was because it's what I've always done on Twitter where I talk about a paper and critique it. Well, I just got paid to do it with four people in front of me. It's what I've always done well. So bad. <laughs> and I wrote lecture right. notes. Yeah, all that stuff. That's dope. And right now you're only doing uh, your own courses, the running, reconciling pain with. So I teach my reconciling biomechanics with pain science. And then I have like a one or two day, like it's, it's a running resilience or a running focused reconciling biomechanics with pain science. Cause the point was like, you don't need a separate running injury course. We make it more complicated than it needs to be. You need principles and fundamentals. And then things just change a little bit, how, how it's applied to the runner. So all the case studies are like running focused and, you know, the uh, part of my course is symptom modification. And so we just, uh, a running related symptom modification is changing your running technique. So we work on how to do that, right? So that, that's, that's the point. It's about finding fundamentals and principles and then how do you apply it? That's why I like that. You, were you a runner yourself or why are you so into it's, running? So it's funny, my wife was a runner and all of her friends were super fast. And that's how I got to treat like elite athletes because you just happen to date someone who knows a bunch or, or you live next door to a coach. Like I always laugh when I hear people bragging about their patients they see because they're at some elite level. I'm like, you guaranteed you just knew somebody and you got a foot in the door. You didn't fucking earn it with some contest of champions, right? Where we all went to the arena and you were the best therapist ever, like, cause you were the last person standing. No. And so, uh, so I was just, I loved the biomechanics of running and I knew all these runners. And then event, after talking about it for 10 years, I just started running. So I used to run a lot, you know, like 80 kilometers a week and that stuff. But then I wasn't getting fit. That's the problem with just running. You're running fit, but you know, that's it. So I, I run less now. 
I started to run uh, about a month ago and that first week I oh my god it was the worst sensation of my life I thought I was dying my, my lungs were burning my back was like throttled like <laughs> in the back of my head the whole time I'm running just thinking to myself why did I decide to do this <laughs> yeah and are you so, still running yeah I, I, after that first okay. week everything just cleared up and it oh, was just good and like, I was just thinking to myself where, you know, most people would maybe think to themselves, am I running incorrectly or running is not for me and, you know, X, Y, Z. And I was just, I just stuck with it and then everything yeah. kind of cleared up, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's all the running takes just time. You get used to it. It's just frustrating the first little while. What's with the, what's the current interest of skateboarding now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things, maybe we should do what we suck at, right? <laughs> like, so when, when I stopped running a lot, I started doing a lot of gymnastics and trampoline and high bar stuff. And just, it's fun to get skills. Uh, and then uh, last year, I just started doing more. I really am, like, it is really humbling. Like, usually I'm okay. At, I'm in the middle of the pack with most things I just pick up but not skateboarding. Like I'm at the bottom, like it's so hard. So that's kind of, I want to give it a good five months of trying to train consistently. I also have frozen shoulders, so I can't lift my fucking arm over my head. So I can't even do any trampoline. You got, so you're dealing with frozen crazy. shoulder. What, like, so what currently, what are you there, doing? You are, that's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, wow. that one. Wow. And there, right there. I'm curious as the rehab specialist, what are you doing for that? Issue? So this, this is the thing with frozen shoulder. This is where sometimes you need to know a specific dysfunction requires a specific fix and general stuff doesn't work. It, to be honest, I used to treat a lot of frozen shoulder. And I think the people who I really helped probably didn't have frozen shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> if you're honest, and that's what the research supports that. So I'm getting, I finally, called my doc and I have an ultrasound next week and then a referral to a specialist. Cause we're just going to inject it. That's it. That's okay. it. We're going to bathe it in corticosteroid and then I'll do, do some rehab. So my rehab is really, uh, so I've been, I have a, a safety squat bar. I, I can't even squat anymore. Bar, I can't do a barbell back squat. That's how bad it is. I had straps initially and I'm like, I better buy a bar. So I'm just working around it and deadlifting. I can still bench if I, Instead of bringing it like, you know, a nipple line, I bring it lower. <laughs> it's pretty dodgy. Really? So I just, so the rehab frozen shoulder is you just work around it. And I know you can probably push into it, do some eccentrics, but that just flares it up. And then it hurts to like sleep and skateboard. So I, there'd be minimal gains there. Is it gonna very painful? So like if, if I'm walking around, it's fine at night. It aches. If I, I can only sleep a certain way. It, it is really painful. Uh, I didn't even know it was frozen shoulder at the start. I did try to rehab it at the start. It just was useless. Um, and then, it, yeah, it's really painful. Like I fell skateboarding. You know when you stumble and you just throw your arms up to catch yourself? Like you just, you don't even think about it. But you don't throw them up. You just, you just, you go forward six inches. I did that and my shoulder just screamed. I had to like, feel like I was carrying my arm over and then it just settled down over five minutes. So it's pretty bad. Yeah. It hurts. Really? That's so weird. <laughs> so walk me oh, through yeah. that. 
we're we're going so we're going to do the injection which is we're going to bathe in corticosteroids yeah. and that's to decrease the amount yeah. of pain you're feeling and then you're going to rehab are you trying to get the range of motion back or so i won't force it i'll just do uh heavy loading in all zones i'm not going to hammer into the range you just you can't do that like you can't remodel connective tissue with our hands or by forcing it. it, it it'll go when it's ready to go. And, and the theory is the cortical steroid is like, there's a net inflammatory component going on at the level of the capsule. Like that's not just helping with pain. That's that might be actually helping with the disease itself. Gotcha. Right. And once that's, it's like when discs, when people have disc herniation, it's not the disc herniation that's painful right? It's herniation plus some chemical sensitization. And then it's that gnawing leg pain, but it's not the mechanical stuff going on. So it's, it could, I think it's a bit of the same, same with this. Like, as soon as you get that chemical, and I don't know, I should have paid more attention in microbiology. Uh, it's the chemical stuff that has to settle down. It's the inflammatory component. And then it'll just come slowly. So I listened to the first time you came across my radar was I can't do that. What you just did there. I'm teasing. You know, you when you put your arm, you know, when you put your arm over the other seat to back up. Oh like, yeah. You know, yeah. when you're backing up the car, I'm doing my left arm, but I did that the other day. And I was like, Oh, I almost crashed the car. <laughs> what was I thinking? I had to like put it in park and just hang out with myself for a bit. What's the timeline on something like that? Like, do you, what, it's I'm all sure you, over, you know, three months to three years. It's like, it's like, yeah. it sucks. Oh. The timeline, the timeline sucks. Like it, it's a, and that's a lot of persistent pain. You're like, you can feel fantastic in two weeks or it could take, you know, 12 months. Don't put the pressure on yourself. Just, just accept it. Do as much as you can. Right. So as I have a different focus, I'm just focusing on the things that I can do. That's, that's such a hard pill to swallow. I'd like, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you for your patients, that's the right pill. This concept of like, especially when they've tried to fix themselves and they're focusing and they're hypervigilant and like, I need the right exercise, the right motion. Like, dude, you've done it all. You're, you have to back off. You, you need to focus on what you can do. I don't say it like this. It's just, I'm talking to you, like you guys, I'm talking to you guys, but you know, it's just, it, and, and so you almost need a rehab holiday. So you stop trying to fix yourself. And ironically, that ends up fixing you. So you just have a different, you're not distracted from your shoulder or your pain. You just have another like goal and another emphasis. And then it helps. You know, it's like when athletes give up, where they focus on the process and not the outcome, right? Or you're trying to problem solve like some crossword puzzle and you sleep on it, you give up and then boom, it suddenly comes to you. You know, everyone has these stories. I think pain is the same sometimes. So it wouldn't work for a hamstring to, tear, but. When it comes to setting up uh, expectations with let's say persistent pain patients, do you tell them like, hey, this can take a couple months. It can take a year. Let's focus yeah. on what we can do and go from there. I, I, I do. And I say, uh, I say, what will be frustrating. You may not know that you're getting better. It's really important that you write down like write down how great you are and all the things you've done and track your progress, like track your activities. Don't track your pain because it'll surprise you how much more that, that, that you're doing. Right. And I, and I even say, I know this sounds so weird like that. Once you start trying to fix yourself, it ends up fixing you. 
right? And, and I said, and then often if it's two years, it's going on, they've done all this work before. I'm like, and you did all the right things as well. Don't, 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 you're not guilty. Don't beat yourself up. Don't blame yourself. The rehab you've done has been good, but sometimes it's just not the right thing. So yeah, let's, let's try something else. I've, I have this patient with Tourette's, a uh, couple TBIs, um, chronic like neck pain, back pain. And she's so focused on figuring out what's wrong with her that yeah. it's frustrating. And I always tell her like, hey, pain is so complex that all of these things can affect it. So let's focus on XRY. Like, how would you address it if someone like every time they talk to you, they're like, oh, I just want to know what's wrong with me. I just want to know so what's I wrong. Would, I would ask her, what's her favorite ingredient in a cake? Like, is it the egg or the yeast or the flour? You know what I mean? You don't, you don't know that shit. Or like, why did it rain yesterday? <laughs> like, th this is, this is normal, but can we still make a cake? Yeah. Can we make it taste a certain way? Totally. And there's different ways to do that. We just have a general thing. So you gotta like acknowledge and acknowledge that it's weird. That's the big thing with, with, with someone like her. We're not going to find it. And even if we found the cause, another anecdote or analogy metaphor, I don't know, parable for that is like, you know, the dominoes that people set up and they go, you know, hundreds of feet, you knock the first one down, they all go five minutes later, if they're still going, if you go back and put the first one back into its right position, meaning fix the cause, are the other ones still going down? Yeah. So like what that. that what that initial cause was doesn't matter. Well, you you just have to focus on what's going on now. Right? You gotta so get that, better at analogies. You're like yeah, a guru. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I forget them. I gotta start writing them down because they just <laughs> pop out. And I like and I'm so self-aware of the patient. I'm like, that was a fucking good one, right? <laughs> like, I need to write that in your notes. I gotta do that again. So then I forget. That's funny. So most people would love to like, you know, get to the level of Greg Lehman when it comes to communication and being a great practitioner or maybe an educator. Um, but I would love to ask you, what are some areas that you are personally trying to work upon? Uh, so, you know what, my, uh, this, this might surprise you because I do believe in the biopsychosocial, but the areas that I'm kind of working on are really a, a lot of the bio right now. Because if you, if you are going to be a good biopsychosocialist and, and help people with persistent pain and start focusing on like meaningful activities and, rec and you know, reframing pain and all of these and kind of coaching, you need to be amazing at the bio because you need to be able to say, there's definitely not something physically or sinister or mechanical that where, where we need to fix it. You need to know that like as strongly as you can. Right, you, you need to know when there isn't a specific fix or it, 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 there isn't something where, oh no, we need that doctor or that surgeon or that other specialist to come in and help you. And, and related to that would also be like, when, if I'm working with a patient, when should that person see a psychologist for depression or anxiety? When do I need help somewhere else? Does that make sense? It's almost like I, I wanna get better at when I'm not the right person to help them. Because then I can feel like, no, 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 we can, I can say this with certainty. This is us going together. We, we can do this. Yeah. Does that yeah, make I sense? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I you can like sell that to your patient too. Because all your patients are worried. How do you know it's not the disc? 
yeah. you know, how do you know it's not, not this part of like doing a good orthopedic exam isn't, you already know the diagnosis is to prove to them how robust and resilient their mechanical system is. Sorry, I cut you off there. Oh, oh yeah. Um, you mentioned the BPS model and I just feel like sometimes people forget that the biopsychosocial model still has a bio part and they just completely neglect it many, many times. Oh yeah. And I find, and related to that, when you, like I even say to my patients, this is biopsychosocial, but I'm still a physical therapist or chiro. We're primarily going to be doing mechanical interventions. Like mm -hmm. if you, even when you look online, even Peter Solomon with the CFT, their, their interventions are, they're not, They, they have psychosocial, psychosocially mediated effects, but their interventions aren't really psychosocial ones. They're not talking to, like they're talking to people about depression and anxiety, but they're not doing, you know, depression, anxiety treatment. Yeah. Do, right. do you know what I mean? Like, like we're all still doing, yeah, we're all still doing physical stuff. We just recognize that the other things are involved. Like, so it's really funny. I don't know anyone who does like, some people will say they're psychologically informed and you look at their treatments and you're like, I it's, I don't know what informed means. It's just, if I saw you treat and it was on mute, I'd be like, it's a pretty mechanical intervention. Right. It's all goal setting. And like, so, so maybe the other areas that I could work on is are there more psychologically based interventions, but I don't know what they would be. I took a course, a CBT course once from a psychologist. And I was like, Oh, this is shit. And I don't, I don't, it was all about got to relax the traps to, to calm down the sensitive pain fibers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you hear that all the time, the relaxation stuff. And then it was also goal setting, but I'm like, this is, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like who's, does, does anyone really like specifically address psychosocial stuff? Like we don't help people get housing. We don't help them get a job. Don't help them with the food insecurity. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. are the big drivers in society. If someone's depressed and anxious, well, are they anxious about their back? Then we help treat, we explain to them, oh no, your back's robust and strong. Let's start lifting again. So That's our psychological interventions are still mechanical. We just have a positive reframing and explanation for it. But you still need to do a good, do a good bio assessment to be able to do that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So when it comes to, like you said, you're improving upon the bio so you can basically have better parameters knowing when it's your time to shine or when you need to pass it on. What does that look like? So are you reading into something specific? Yeah. So like I'm, I'm not, uh, so someone has uh, leg pain and uh, it's kind of, kind of feels nervy, you know, and um, it's repeated with certain uh, increase with certain positions. I can think, you know, it's possible that you have a disc and they get an MRI and they do have a disc herniation there, even though there's not a lot of pressure. I'm like, you know, there doesn't have to be a lot of pressure if it's chemically mediated. So I'm comfortable uh, saying that, you know, this is, this could be tissue driven. And, mm -hmm. and then what I say is, but because pain's so complex, let's, can we work on all of the potential things that influence your pain? So yeah, the disc and the nerve root might be creating some nociception great, we can maybe do some movements for that. Movement seems to help that sometimes, right? And then I would say, well, so what are some other things we can do how we respond to that nociception? And that's where you can talk to them about sleep, general exercise, feeling confident and hopeful, 
you know, like this is that your, you know, your pain makes sense. Right. And so, so things like that, like, can we influence nociception at the level of the tissue? And then can we do something about how we respond to the nociception? That would be like my two crude way, two crude ways of thinking about it. Does that answer your question? I wasn't sure if that. Oh yeah, it did. And and made me think about something else. It's, it's right now, me and Raul are experiencing a situation where we are kind of learning information that's been severely outdated and we have to answer these outdated questions (laughs) for us to get, uh, you know, accredited. And I was just curious for somebody like yourself who is on the front, you know, on the front edge and if not working towards to be there or stay there, how do you keep up with everything? I mean, research is always dynamic. Yeah, it is. But it's, it's amazing how honestly you you have to find the fundamentals that work for you. Mm -hmm. And so one of my fundamentals, pain is complex influenced by a number of factors. I, I, I really, that idea of it's nociception and the response to nociception, which is very huge means you have lots of options then that's it then when i read a paper i'm like how does it fit within my fundamentals does it help me anything does it help me in some way does it add anything at all and and then you read enough papers and you're like what in this paper is actually valuable did they really say anything like i just i just shit on this paper it was a tim gabbett paper and the bjsm uh, and I like all these researchers. It was about load management and runners and all this stuff. And it said nothing new. It was just jargon. All it said was, don't do too much too soon, right, uh, with rehab. And then it said, do specific, if there's an injury, do specific loading and then do sports-specific loading and then slowly build up. I'm like, no shit. Like, you know what I mean? You have an Achilles tendon problem. You're going to do specific Achilles loading, and then you're going to do stuff that prepares them to return to whatever sport. So oftentimes, if you have fundamentals, you can just see this new research and you're like, you have nothing for me. People are just saying the same thing over and over. And honestly, I, I think people do it online and in, in, in the continuing education world where they make people feel stupid so they'll take their courses and stuff like that. And then when you look at what they do, it's great, but it's not really adding anything, right? Like here, there's a great paper by Baxter on Achilles loading. Like what are the body weight, um, what's the body weight stress on the Achilles during all these activities? You're like, oh, I better go memorize that. And it's obvious. It's just, you, you need to know this if you're rehabbing Achilles. I'm like, no, you don't. You know that walking is less strenuous than hopping. Hopping is kind of like running. And hey, hopping with one leg is more than two legs. No shit. Hopping with one leg with weight in your hands, that's more, you know what I mean? Like you think that you don't know anything. And then when you just go back, you're like, fuck it, I do know enough. Like, so anyone listening, like most of the time people just make it look like they have the special knowledge and uh, they don't. I mean, there's times where I'll read a paper and then I'll just go back and reread it because it's like, I don't even know half of that. Like, was it even English at one point? You know, yeah. you know, I feel like that too. You might know this paper because you. I feel like you remember every single title and writer, but it was like the inactive approach or something to me. Yeah, that, I exactly. read that paper and I'm like, this That's is Peter, just Peter's work vomit. And Hartman, like, yeah, Stillwell and Hartman. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've read it like three times and I'm like, nope, no, I I'm not, not going to do it. I will. I'm like, I don't care. You're just, you're just adding more jargon. Yeah. It's yeah. 
there's a social component and there and then it, they just it's just another way to describe something so they're describing it differently but i'm like okay what is this change in practice it's all it's all i want to hear at the end well how does this change practice <clears throat> uh no <laughs> it doesn't one of the last questions I always like to ask my guests, especially from somebody like you, is has there ever been a point in time that you were extremely humbled and it's changed the way you practice or think? Oh, all the time. That, that's, yeah, every week. That's, again, why I'm, I'm still, that's the thing. Like, so I, I know what I do to help people, but sometimes those things don't help. So I always wonder, what, what am I missing? Right? So, or, or that's where I think, okay, does this, and some things, they, they just take time where the body has, you have to put someone in the right position to recover. And then you just have to be patient. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the idea where we're, we're still, still there. Like, um, meaning like, I'm just thinking like a disc herniation by all means, like last week I signed up for Mark Lazlitt's uh, course on the lumbar spine, just to make sure that I wasn't missing anything i wasn't and he does that that's that's sort of the mckenzie approach which is directional preference you know so i would do because i was sort of interested i've never really done done mckenzie stuff so i wanted to get a feel for it and i know that's just one course i'm not saying that i'm an mdt therapist um uh but uh th th there are times where sorry you, you asked me if i was humbled yeah so like there's patients that i can't help Right, and I still want to try other things to help them, um, but sometimes I know it's just it's just going to take time. Right, that that's the issue. So I'm humbled all the time. <laughs> it's it that's the I mean, like in my my short career as a intern right now, there's times where it's just like it's like you, for one first and foremost is like how patient is is not like you know how long should I be waiting to see if the intervention actually works. And then also just like you might see the psychosocial factors that are playing upon them. Like, for example, I had a patient that was anxiety ridden and very fear avoidant of flexion of the spine. And it's yeah. just like, well, the, the best I can do is reassure you. But I mean, she also mentioned that she had a therapist that she wasn't seeing. So it's just like, I think you really need to see this therapist. And I was just curious, like, you know, like that was humbling in my own right, because if she refused to see that therapist, the best I can do is just reassure you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you try? So something like that, like I, I would ask, like, did you try saying why it might be valuable to try flexing their spine again? So luckily enough, um, it, it, luckily enough in conjunction of her going back to her therapist, we actually got her to flex all the way down, touch the floor. And then a day later, she was no longer in pain. Um, but I'll tell you what, that whole time I, you know, I, I kept a very straight face, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I have no clue if this is working, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that that's what's humbling. So Peter O'Sullivan is famous, you know, for getting people to start flexing their spine when they're fear avoidant. And the, the thing is, like, I'll do that as well. But some people are like, okay, I'm flexing. It hurts. This is, I'm not afraid of, I know my spine's not going to damage, but I don't want to have pain. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, the, the, when, so when you see someone online or something like that, it seems like a miracle there, but you do the same thing. And person's like, oh, it still hurts. I don't, I don't have any, I'm not worried about flexing. Like I took a, a O'Sullivan course once and it was, what was great to see uh, was that he had someone flexing and moving again. And the guy got worse on, on stage, you know, 
and uh, and the idea was maybe that it was just a sensitized distal, like that it was the, the exposure wasn't the right idea. It's really hard to do what Pete does to treat people in front of hundreds of people. I would never do it. He's he's an amazing therapist, but it was so interesting to see you know this this not work. And 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 CFT is fantastic, and we know that because when you look at the research on CFT, there are a lot of people where it's not helpful. Right. So it, it, it's okay not to like see the success on YouTube or someone's tweet it's to see that and say, it doesn't always work for me. Like people don't do that enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. I used to, somewhere in my course, I used to always tell us, I told a story about a patient who I totally failed, it just didn't help at all. So I think it's important for people to share their failures as well. They always say Instagram is the highlight reel, you know, everyone. <laughs> Success, 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 and then you just feel like you let everybody down because you don't know why your patient didn't get better. Yeah, no, not fair. My last question would be, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Do you want to be doing the same thing that you're doing right now or do you want to be doing something else? Kick flipping. Yeah, kick flipping. Uh, you know what, it kind of sucks. Like I, I do, I really like what I'm doing. I still like, I, I do like teaching and that and staying up to date on the research. And, and trying to solve it. So I, I would, I'd be very comfortable doing the, the same thing. The only thing I would like, we don't really have this in Canada. I wouldn't mind just like a, a position where I could see patients in like a hospital or a specialty clinic and just get paid a salary. I hate being fee for service. I hate like my pay being, like I make less when I help someone more. I hate that, right? So I would say to those who are starting out, it's okay to see people two to three times more than you think Pro provide value, you, you know, but if you're going to be the type of therapist who wants to give good advice and maybe only see someone one or two times and to stay in practice, you're going to have to have a few more visits sometimes and that's okay. So have something else, have some other way that you can provide value. So I like it when a lot of my patients just want sort of exercise training after they get better. And that's what I can provide. You might have something else that you can provide or, you know, these booster checkups and things like that. I would say that people need to do more of those because otherwise the people who stay in practice are the ones who have money because they've signed someone up for a 16 session thing. Yeah. Right. And so anyways, I, don't, don't beat yourself. Don't think that everyone has to get better in one or two visits. It's okay to see them four to six times or, or even more. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there's always that when you think about it, like, oh, I want to instill the most self-efficacy I can. And you're like, well, I don't want you to depend on my services. And then you kind of, you know, corner yourself out of making money, you know? Yeah. So no, no, don't sell yourself short. You can still provide value. And those, those check-ins, they're worth it. People still have questions. I have a lot of patients where just book in for a few check-ins like that. Or, uh, or, or um, so here's the irony of like self-efficacy with exercise programs for knee osteoarthritis, they're more successful when they're supervised. <laughs> so an active intervention is better when there's a passive component to it, the passive being supervision. So it's, it's okay. It's okay to watch your patients do their exercises, you know, for uh, 30 minutes, you can tweak it and teach them fundamentals. There's so much that they could learn. It took you guys years to get this stage. You're not going to pass on all your knowledge in two sessions. Yeah, good point. So be be knowledge brokers. That would be another thing. We're going to do a follow up session to talk about the principles and or things you can do when you have a flare up or things you can do here. Okay. But 
if you can just lend your your theory as to why supervision might have better outcomes, what do you think that might be? So the obvious one is adherence, but there's something about like, especially when it's all in a group and going in and like working out with people, you know, it just, it's just better for pain somehow. There's a social component to that. You know, a paper just came out by Messier. Uh, uh, they looked at high load strength training, like 95, 90% max, you know, this paper, like heavy load, you know, three sets of, of four to eight close to failure. And then they did low load strength training, like uh, just doing 12 reps, but at like 35% of max. So super low, way like massive numbers of reps and reserves. And then a third group was attention control, where they just came in every two weeks and socialized and talked about health topics, right? And for NEOA pain and disability, no difference between all three groups. Yeah, people hate that study. <laughs> I know this is, this is, but it, what it tells you is lots of things help with pain, Exactly. but exercise has really nice side effects. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. That paper hits everybody right in the ego. Yeah. <laughs> I know people are mad, but you know, we see that all the time. They just don't publish those. Those papers are in researchers desk drawers somewhere. <laughs> I'm just curious. This is for my own my own sake how do you keep up with all the, the literature do you have a specific database that kind of emails you things or no i suck at that it's just like whatever i'm interested in and at the time like i'll think of a topic and uh <coughs> just take a week or a couple of weeks or a couple of days and just hammer it and then maybe write a lecture on it or something like that that helps but i i've, I've been doing this for 20 years like that type of thing or i'll um pick a researcher and read all of their research. That helps too. And then their colleagues research. So that's the way, that's how I know the names because that's how I am um, categorize my research. That's good. I like that. Honestly, Greg, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on. Parker can tell you that I've been fangirling about today. So we really appreciate <laughs> you coming in today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. <laughs>